current events, personal values, political and social issues, technology, wars and tensions. Join us for the next hour to discuss and learn how the things happening in our world today point to God's prophetic word as signs of the times. Israeli Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu might need a class on how not to get everyone mad at you. Whether disasters are driving the earth worshippers mad, for mad to hate is what we'll see on college campuses, and some stories we hate to talk about, but talk we must, as we discuss the signs of the times. Our weekly look at Bible prophecies in the world's news for Friday, September 22nd. 2023. Our sponsor, Bob Johnson Insurance, a full-service independent agency featuring Erie Insurance products, knows that trying to find the right policy at the best price can be maddening indeed. So, for a stress-free, personalized, no-obligation quote, you can contact them by phone at 865-922-3111 or online at bobjohnsonins.com. Now, you can listen, watch, or do both with any of our previous shows, share any episode with your peeps, and as always, you can ask Pastor Mark your prophecy question by hitting us up at thewaymedia.net, then click Signs of the Times, or you can do the same on the Way Media app. And now, here to tell us it's always better to borrow money from a pessimist because they don't expect it back is Pastor Mark, (laughs) who, before entering the ministry, worked briefly at an orange juice factory, but his boss kept putting the squeeze on him because he couldn't concentrate, so he ended up getting canned. (laughs) That's good. That was good from beginning to end. Good job. Okay. Actually, a lot of times, sometimes your intro and your outro are better than your joke. Yes, then your joke tro, my joke tro. Uh, but yes. your, your intro was as good as your joke tro and everything. Okay. That, that was all actual, just natural laugh, smile. That was funny stuff. Well, that's good. You want to know what? Laugh. It's not that you know I'm dying, I can't breathe. But that's funny. Yeah, that is funny. Well, that's fantastic because that was that was that was <laughs> listener submitted material. Oh, so that's why it was good. That's why it was good. <laughs> exactly. It wasn't well, something that I came up yeah, with. Yeah, that's great. Just keep sending the good stuff, guys, yes. so you can have something you can really laugh. That's at. <laughs> Okay, you clearly enjoyed that way too much. I did. That was okay. nice. I enjoyed that. All right. It's good to be back. Yes. After well, our event last week. Well, you know, uh, yeah, I suppose. What do you tell everybody? Yes. You know, even though the weather was beautiful last Friday, as it is this Friday, uh, somebody decided to ruin the day by hitting a power pole on Alcoa Highway, knocking the power across both lanes of traffic, and knocking power out of our facility until maybe 11 o'clock that night. So yeah. that's why we were off the air and I we, think our battery back, what, what, 10 minutes it worked on the it, air? It was or something? like 30 minutes, and that was about it. See, so. I heard it was 30 for us, but out there on the radio, they said after 10, it cut off. Some um, people told me. Well, maybe it did. I don't know what that yeah. meant or why, but that's why we disappeared and why we couldn't tell you guys, hey, yes. we're gone because of this reason. So, 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 
We are not going to redo the news articles that we had last week yes. because that, like the manna, if you don't get it by noonday, that's right. It just it goes stinks bad. and breeds worms. Yes, it does. So, so we've got <laughs> we've got new articles, but fortunately, listener questions yes. are preserved. Yes, you've got mail, and we've got lots of questions. We do. We do. That's why okay. we're starting with mail. That's today. why we're that's starting. Why. So, yeah, we'll get to all these questions. Yes, and then we'll, we'll get to the articles. All right, uh, Pastor Mark, our first question comes from Steve, who enjoys Signs of the Times in right here in Knoxville, actually Fountain City. Right. And his question is titled, In the Beginning. He says, we know that everything that God created within the six days of creation was good, so why was the devil allowed to mess everything up? And when exactly was the devil cast down to the earth, before or after creation? One question always leads to two more, so I will stop here. <laughs> yeah, no, those are great questions, yes. and a couple ways I want to approach this. Um, you know, first of all, you, you, why was Satan allowed to to interfere with things? Here's the basic principle that a lot of people don't understand that even affects people's theology: God is a God of choice. He doesn't force anyone or anything. Now, you might say, "Wait a minute, isn't He sovereign?" Yes, He's sovereign. Doesn't he predestine? Yes, he predestines, but in his sovereignty and predestination, he already knows in advance what everybody's choice will be. He, he allows the choice, and based on their choice, he predestines, um, and, and that's how that whole process works out. But, but, but the way it affects with, with Satan allowing him to and all that, again, remember, and, and here's another big reason, why would God allow choice? God has to. Well, God doesn't have to do anything. He's God, but he yeah. has to for love to exist. You see, love, true love, that is love that is not forced. Love that is not, you're, you have to do it. The only way you can have love that is truly love is to have a choice to love or not to. If you force someone to love you, even if you are, are, are a supernatural being like God, and you can force someone to love them, that's not real love. It's, it's only real love when you have that choice of whether you're going to love that person or not. That's why in the garden you had the two trees. People wonder, why did God even give us a choice? You knew which one we'd choose. The wrong one, because we always do, right? That's just human nature. The sinful nature, and even before the sinful nature, we chose the wrong thing, which is amazing. But anyway, um, if there was no choice for Adam and Eve, you know, Greg, of that tree, the trees, God, they, there's no way they could prove their love for God. What they said was the tree... Really, what Adam said is, she's more important to me than God. And she said, the tree's more important to me than God. Now, they repented, but that's what they said by their actions. Jesus said, you'll know them by their fruit. Okay? In that case, quite literally. But the bottom line is, if God not given them a choice, if there had been one tree, it would have been, yeah, they chose it, but that, they didn't choose it, because that's all they had. And they would never know they really loved God. He would know, because he knows all things. But they found out. Wow, I guess I don't love you like I thought. It's like Peter, when he said, I love you, Lord, more than anybody. But he denied him three times. He said, now, Peter, do you get it? Yes, Lord, I get it. I don't love you like I thought I did. So God has to give a choice for us to figure out, you know, and to prove true love. As far as Satan goes, well, God also will grant choice to supernatural beings as well. The angels have a choice to obey God or disobey. Again, if, if they didn't have a choice, they would be robots. So Satan had a choice. And Satan's choice was to rebel against God. So that's that's the explanation for that. He just did it, and God allowed him to, because God will not restrain the freedom of choice. And that's why everyone has to choose, do I want Jesus Christ or not? And on Judgment Day, everyone will be held accountable, because you either chose Jesus or you didn't, and that was your choice. God didn't make you. God didn't do it. You did that. And for somebody who says, well, 
What if I don't make a choice? Well, Jesus settled that too. Because he said, if you're not for me, you are against me. So you are making a choice by not making a choice. In other words, we are forced to make a choice. This is interesting. We don't have a choice about making a choice. That's the only time God didn't give us a choice, truly. We don't have a choice about making a choice, because even if we say we're not going to, he says, well, you did. But once we are forced to make that choice, now we have that choice of which way we're going to go. So that's why that's how that works. That's why Satan, uh, God allowed that to happen. Um, but again, uh, exactly when did the devil, when was the devil cast down? Well, again, the Bible says that everything that exists was created in those six days. So that means Satan was created in those six days. At some point in that six-day period, Satan and all the angels were created. So to answer your question, was Satan created before or after the fall? He was created before the fall because he was created uh, sometime initially. And by the way, we know that in the first six days, Adam and Eve didn't fall. So he had to be created before the fall. We don't know how long they lived before they sinned. You know, we tend to think that God put them in the garden, and the next day they were like, hey. Yeah, he was cast fruit. down after. Yeah, we don't know how long. It could, again, it could have been a long time before they ever sinned. Uh, and fell. So we don't know the exact time. But yeah, the answer to that would be is Satan. God gave him a choice like he does all of us. And also he was created before the fall because everything that was created, the Bible says, was created in those six days. Yeah. You know, and it's also important to mention, Pastor Mark, that Satan made the decision to rebel, seeing God in his full glory. Yeah. And we take God in everything by faith. We come to him in faith. Yeah. We've never physically seen him, although we've seen his handiwork. Right. We've seen his creation. That's right. And because uh, the Bible says that God is spirit, so we must worship him in spirit and in truth. That's right. But yet Satan saw him in his full glory. Right. He knew what he was denying, right. what he was rebelling against. And he was cunning enough to convince the third of the angels to buy into whatever deception I, I, he had just, going on. Well, so you. that's even that's even more amazing than eve adam and eve buying into the deception think about the glory the beauty the glory and the adornment that god gave to satan that he was so amazing that <laughs> yes. a third of the angels believed he could actually take take god. god's place yes and and here's the thing the lord by his very nature is humble he doesn't have glory because he's trying to seem glorious he just, just is, is. Yeah. he's just glorious yeah. because he is glorious so yeah. get this in his humility of his glory, he created something that looked so good, even compared to his glory, that they went for it. But behind all that humble glory is a power that can smash everything that would ever oppose it, but you'd never know it until you see it. And Satan was deceived by it, and the angels were deceived by it, and we still see our humble Savior just in his humility, but being glorious by his very being. He is the I am, and the I am is just Unlimited power and glory, but he doesn't demonstrate it like a show. If he had demonstrated, this tells me that, because if he just demonstrated his glory just to, just to like whatever, to blow you away, they wouldn't have even looked the same. Yeah. Because his glory would have been so overwhelmingly greater than Satan's, they would have said, who are you? You're nothing compared to him. Right. But he did it in such a way, Greg, that his glory wasn't fully seen. Even It was fully seen, but not even to what he could be. In other words, he could make himself whatever he wants. And I think even today, when people look toward toward God, they want to see something that's whatever. God presents himself in a humble way, but says, you need to believe by faith that I'm that God of glory, and I'll reveal myself to you. But everybody looks at all the sparklies and the things that seem better, and they go for the for what Satan has to offer. It's amazing when you think it through. Yeah. Now, isn't it Ezekiel chapter 28? Is it 28 that, that describes 
Um, I always have to look. And you caught me off guard, but go sorry. ahead. T- tell I, what it no, describes as well, I'm looking I, I'm, I'm saying that God is, is in his conversation uh, about Satan's yes, falling, describes how he created yeah, Satan. So, yeah. uh, so, or Lucifer would be his name prior to the fall. Right. But so, Steve, if you're interested in seeing the details yeah. of what God describes how he made him and what he looked like, as best as we can understand it in human terms, it's there in Ezekiel chapter 28. Absolutely. Pastor Mark just recently taught through that in the Midweek Through the Bible series that you can look at on the Way Media app. So, yeah. anyway, Great. thank you for that question. All right, uh, Pastor Mark, our next one comes from Joshua who enjoys signs of the times uh, just north of us in Morristown, Tennessee. Question about the Noahide laws, a form of law for moral behavior, which are apparently on the books here in the U.S., although not currently enforced. He says the fearful thing is these laws demand monotheism strictly and come from a Hebrew ancient text. I believe this, this will be used to kill us Christians who believe the Trinity. These laws are punishable by beheading, which seems extreme for now, but things are changing every day. I wanted to get your thoughts on this. Yeah, again, most people probably haven't even heard of the Noahide laws. What it yes. is, when, when Noah came off the ark, God gave him a set of things. Here's how the earth is to be run from this point on. And uh, when you go back and read the Bible, actually, you read the seven Noahide laws that they have written down. Uh, I can't find all seven right there. Um, you know, I think probably they're pulling some from other places by oral tradition or from the law. But they're basically the laws that God gave Noah when he came off the ark, uh, plus some that, again, I, I'm sure you can find and justify in the rest of scriptures as the Jews put them out there. And so those are the laws, what they call the Noahide laws. Now, the thing is, is that uh, just so you know, um, uh, Joshua, I looked and I can't find what they did was they introduced them into the record is how is how I know the best way to say it at the U.N. That is at the U.N. They were yeah, ready, here. They are. We read believe recorded. We believe the earth will never have peace unless you follow these Noahide laws. And they're read to the record and they're posted officially on the website there. They've been read to the record, but I can't find anywhere that they've been ratified. And and again, I don't think they ever will be ratified. And here's why. You've got to live under the law of God. There, there's no way the U.N. is going to ratify the Noahide law. Because they'd have to acknowledge, uh, first of all, that homosexuality is wrong. It lists it lists stuff about sexual things and men and women and all that. So that's not going to happen, I don't think. Um, however, and and so so it can't be used to put us to death. If it was if it was ratified in power, then maybe there could be some way they twist it. Where you where, here? Here's Greg. Where he's getting that? Could it be used for our death? It does talk about that that the death penalty man has to be put to death for certain things. In the Noahide law. So he was suggesting, I believe, that if we did certain things, they could twist it and say, okay, put the Christians to death because they broke the Noahide law. But, but first of all, the Noahide law has not been accepted by the UN or anyone. And number two, um, I don't think it ever will be. And number three, I don't think that's what's going to lead to the death of Christians. It's simply going to be the Antichrist because they won't bow down to him and take the mark of the beast. Well, I was going to say, and maybe, Joshua, maybe that's where the, maybe the confusion is in terms of the killing of Christians is really, the timing of such things, because we know that when the Antichrist is ruling and reigning, if you do not acknowledge him as God, uh, then you will be put to death if you don't take that mark. Right. And that's essentially what will happen. And we believe by what Scripture tells us that that will be by beheading. And yeah, and remember, at the same time, Joshua, remember also the Jews are going to be being put to death at the same time. If yes. the Noahide law was in place, the Jews would be protected because they they come under that Noahide law to some degree. They'd be could be little, you know, protected in theory, but again, they're going to be just massacred after yeah. the rapture, and then those get saved as well. So um, it's a great question. Yeah, it's a great thought provoking, but I, I don't. I think that maybe um, um, you were a little confused on thinking they've actually ratified it. They have not, from what I can find. Okay. All right, Pastor Mark, our next question comes from Sean. 
uh, who enjoys Signs of the Times out in Denver, Colorado. Uh, he has a question regarding uh, the Revelation 12 sign that supposedly happened in 2017 and now reportedly happening in a different configuration this month. And let's see, this, so the, this month in September, um, with a comment named Child in the Womb of Virgo. Uh, both times on the Feast of Trumpets. On one hand, it sounds plausible and seems to fit the description as written in Revelation 12. Everyone comments how the Bible talks about the stars and the heavens being used as signs and using all this to set rapture dates, which we know that's not possible. Right. Yet, on the other hand, people are using astronomy software to make predictions and tell stories about the gospel and the stars. Yet, I really don't see that much strong biblical support for all this. It starts feeling like it is bordering on astrology and divination. Well, I think you're right, Sean. I think you nailed it. The problem that the people are having that are espousing this kind of doctrine is they're not taking the Bible literally. And you might say, wait a minute, literally, you get into Revelation chapter 12, and it talks about the woman. That's the, the passage talks about the woman with the 12 stars around her head giving birth to a child, and the dragon is waiting to devour it. That's what it's talking about. So when I say taking that literal, you know, people say, oh, well, there's dragons. No, what I mean is, look. Literal meanings. Yes, there's lots of symbolism used in the Bible, but they all have a literal meaning, all of them. And what's interesting about the book of Revelation, it's very easy to understand. People are afraid of it. It's not hard. All of the words that are used in the codes, like the woman, the dragon, the baby, the stars, they're all described exactly what they are in the Old Testament. And God tells us what they are. It's not up to man to decide, hey, I think the stars mean that. I think the woman means that. I think the baby means that. God tells us what it means. So it's people that they're taking those right there and they're trying to um, use uh, just basically not taking it literally. And they're putting their own allegory to it, their own meaning to it, their own thought to it. Whenever you start allegorizing scripture or putting your own meaning to it, it can be whatever the person interpreting it wants it to be. And that means that the person interpreting it is now the authority rather than God. So the only way that God remains the authority when it comes to the interpretation of the word of God and or prophecy is to take it literally. So we have our code book, right? The Old Testament. It tells us what all these symbols are in Revelation, all of them. You go back in Revelation, the Bible tells us that the woman with the 12 stars, that's Israel and the 12 tribes. We find that back in Genesis with Joseph and his dreams. So the woman and the stars are Israel and the 12 tribes. Uh, he also, back in Genesis, tells us that from her will come the birth of the Messiah. So you see the nation of Israel giving birth to the Messiah. The Bible tells us that the dragon represents Satan. So now we see Wants Israel. To devour. Yes. Now we see Israel giving birth to the Messiah in that image there in, Re in Revelation 12. We see Satan waiting to devour the Messiah. And then we see the Messiah taken in that same vision, taken up to heaven with the Father. Now let's look at history. It's exactly what happened. It is literal, and it's exactly what happened. That from the 12 tribes of Israel, again, came the Messiah, Jesus Christ, from the Lion of the tribe of Judah. Uh, when Jesus was born, the Messiah giving birth, Satan was waiting to destroy him. That's why Herod commanded that all the babies two years and under be destroyed and put to death down in Bethlehem in that region. That was the fulfillment of the dragon trying to devour the baby. And then, of course, when Jesus grew up, he went up to the right hand of the Father in heaven. And so we see the whole prophetic picture here just being a picture of Jesus being born through the nation, 
Satan trying to kill him, him going up to heaven now after after died on the cross, and, and a literal passage of Scripture being literally fulfilled. And so when you understand that Scripture is to be taken literally, and you know how to find the literal meaning in Scripture, it becomes very easy and very clear to see this has nothing to do with the stars or astronomy or Virgo or anybody else, and I'll get to that in a moment. Yeah. Uh, well, uh, go ahead. Oh, okay. I thought, yeah. I, no, I, I'll share something at the end. Okay. Yeah. I, I try to be sensitive. Yeah, I want, yeah, you, no, you, no, I'm going to share something at the end. Coming in from yeah. Gregory. All right. Uh, but again, with that said, um, so, so again, here, here'd be my encouragement, Sean. Take the, well, first of all, I think you're on to it. You recognize that that wasn't right. You're right on. The Spirit's ministering through you and to you. Take the Word of God literally. And if you don't know what the literal symbols used in Revelation are, then find a good Bible teacher who knows all the symbols in the Old Testament, how to plug them in. It's basically like one of those things. It's a puzzle that has blanks in it. And all you do is get the other, the, the, the key at the back of the book, and you write all the, the words in into those blanks, and it just reads straightforward as, as clear as day. That's the book of Revelation. Very easy to understand once you understand how it's written and how to find the answers. So keep it literal. You're going to do fine. Now, on the astronomy, astrology thing, I think we'd all agree that astrology is not of God. That's astrology is demonic, the, the Virgo, Gemini, all these things. That's just deceptive spiritism that's been used throughout the history of mankind to have nothing to do with it. Astronomy. This is where I think the enemy might be deceiving some well-meaning Christians, but they're using now astronomy to say, look how the stars are lining up. Look at what's happening here. And so there's, and so there's the star. She represents the woman. Here comes the baby. No, 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 no. It's not talking about constellations in the heavens. It's talking about a literal thing that happened 2000 years ago. And now we know what it meant because the scripture told us. Now, is it true that God does use the stars for signs and seasons? Yes. But that has nothing to do with this. That's talking about different things in Scripture, whether it be the, the feasts of Israel and those kind of things. So don't look to the stars for your answers. Look to the Word of God for your answers. That's where the answers come from. And 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 by the way, one other thing where I see, again, well-meaning Christians make a mistake. And I don't want to go too far on this. Let's just say, look, there's these videos out there, Greg, and maybe you've heard of it or seen it, where some say that the star of Jesus at that time when he was born, they go back in their computer models and they say this because there was some star that did this and was real bright right then and happened to be over the whatever and they went that way. If you just think that through for a second, it is impossible. And let me give you the why I'm saying that. The star could not have been a normal star. It, it had to be something that was low to the earth and moved. The star that led them to Jesus had to be low to the earth and moving. Why? Okay, it's up in the sky. You're looking at it from Iran, Iraq. You're traveling towards Jerusalem and Israel. That could work for a while. You're walking. You're walk, going toward that star. But how many of us, you, you can't get under a star. I mean, I mean, as a kid, we, I used to drive in the car. We think, when will, we, uh, when will we be under the moon? Well, you'll never get under the moon because it's a long way away. You can't get under the moon, okay? So you'll never get under that star. So I think a lot of people don't think this through. But now imagine that. It says they got to Jerusalem. And the star disappeared. They didn't see it. It says, then the star reappeared, and they followed it down to Bethlehem, and it led them to a specific house. Well, not a ha- yeah, a specific house. Remember, he was born in the manger, but by then he moved into a house, it tells us in Scripture. This was some two years after his birth when they actually arrived. And uh, if, again, we don't have time to go in the Bible study on that. But here's my point. Whatever this star was, it had to be low enough to the earth to see that it was over a specific house in a village. There is no star in the sky that will ever get you to a specific house in a village. So what could be low enough? It had to be probably no higher than about 50 feet, maybe even lower to know which house it was because the houses were all side by side. It would have been right above the ground. 
It would have been literally over that house. They would have known which house to go to. So what was this thing? I believe it was an angel. And again, what are the words used for angels in Scripture is stars. stars. Angels are called yeah. stars. So I believe they followed the angel, probably Gabriel, as the messenger of Israel, the one that went to Mary, the one that, you know, yeah. so and we don't know for sure. But either way, I, 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 this was probably an angel that they followed. The angel led them to Bethlehem. The angel stopped right over the house, was right above it, shining on it. They went right in because there is no star, no matter what you do in your mathematical calculations and how fun that, that video is. And again, nothing against them. I'm just saying, yeah. if you think it through and live it out, it is absolutely impossible to be anything other than something very low and directly over that house. Yeah. And I believe it was an angel, as as the Bible calls them, stars. As we continue to see these things appear in the news and online that are more and more deceiving, it's important to remember that the Bible tells us that there is prophecy is of no private interpretation. Right. But Scripture interprets Scripture. That's right. So you've got to take anything that's out there that might seem outlandish or it even in your humanistic thinking sounds plausible. It still has to come back and line up with God's word. Yeah. And really, there's only one organization I can think of, and maybe you can think of another, Pastor Mark, that historically has has maybe even delved into these types of things, but we know that they root everything back to God's word, and that's Koinonia House, which was right. founded by Chuck Missler. Right. So yeah, he's uh, got some great uh, stuff. He, he's got some great stuff. He is phenomenal. Yeah. Uh, so if you go to like, I think it's khouse.org. Yeah. Um, so you can uh, check out his website. He's, man, he's fantastic. Yep, he is. Uh, so anyway. All right, uh, Pastor Mark, our next question comes from Jill, uh, uh, who's right here in Knoxville. Her question is, a feast for fowl. She says, in Ezekiel 39, the Lord speaks twice about every sort of bird, speaking directly to them. Assemble yourselves and come, gather together from all sides to my sacrificial meal, which I am sacrificing for you. There are only about 25 species of birds that will eat carrion, mostly various types of vultures and crows. But almost all birds will eat fresh meat. So if birds of every sort are to feast on the carnage of battle, it will have to occur within the first couple of days because they won't eat rotting flesh. So logic would dictate that these birds would have to be somewhat near the vicinity of the battle. I find it extremely interesting that one of the largest migratory bird flyways runs right through the Middle East. Between the months of September and November, millions of birds of every sort fly from northern Europe and Asia down to Africa directly over Israel and return around mid-March. Do you think it's plausible that the battle in Ezekiel 38 and 39 will likely occur sometime in the fall or spring months based on the migratory pattern of birds? Yes, I believe you nailed it, Jill. I believe you absolutely nailed it. I agree 100%, and that's one of the things that I've, I've I believe for years because I found out about that migration. Uh, it comes right over Armageddon. You, the sky, when you look at <laughs> go look at videos of it. You can go online and look at videos. I mean, the sky is blackened by millions and millions of all kinds of birds flying down over the, the, the northern part of Israel, right over Armageddon, that whole region where and Armageddon is near where the battle's going to be. It's not exactly there, but it's over Armageddon and where Ezekiel 38 and 39 are going to be. I absolutely believe it's going to be at that time. I think all the birds are going to come down, have a major feast. 
And, um, and you know, the, it, it's a major bird-watching spot for people. They travel all over the world to go there. I mean, you'll see in, in the ponds there up above in northern, in northern Israel, you'll see a bunch of flamingos will land. They go, you, watch, you can go flamingo watching up there. I mean, they come through from all kinds of birds all over the world migrating. It is an amazing thing. And, yes, I do believe it definitely is tied to it. And it's just you watch God build all this stuff in and the timing of everything. He even says he has his cleanup crew ready to go after his major battles prophetically. I love it. You know what? It, it, the imagery that that just gave me was, you know, we'll just say for lack of a better term, you know, Jerusalem being God's hometown. Right. Yes. And so he's sitting there in the parade route and he gets to watch all of his creation. Yeah. Parade, I mean, and I'm thinking of the air creation, yeah, not all yeah, of it, but, yeah. but just every type, every sort of bird comes by him in parade. Yeah, I know. Isn't that cool? I, yeah, it is cool. And she used the word flyway. I don't know if that's the official word or not, Joe, oh, but if it know. is, yeah. that's so cool. I've never heard that. It's like highway. Yeah. But instead of the highway, they go on the, the, the flyway, and I think that's great. I love it. Um, so, yeah, you know, it's interesting, just real kind of a funny side note with flamingos. I don't know why I mentioned that, because I was thinking about them, uh, seeing the pictures of them up there in northern Israel when all these birds fly through. Somebody, a friend of ours one time, just I thought it'd be funny to come and put a flamingo in our front yard, you know, just kind of as a joke, whatever. Yeah. And we left it there for like probably a year. That flamingo just kind of out there in, in the mall. If you thought it's funny, we left it to find out later that one of the, one of the signals in it, that, if, that you're a swinger, that you're that you're a swinging couple, you oh, put a flamingo no. in your front yard. Probably not the best thing for a pastor to have in his flower bed uh, in the neighborhood as you're as you're trying to uh, minister to the yes. people of your area. But anyway, um, but anyway, I, we learned something new today. Yes, don't put flamingos in your front yard unless you want people to think, huh? Anyway, but that what a great question. That's it's again, God is so amazing, and everything is in great yes. detail. I love it. All right, our next question comes from Neil here in Knoxville. Uh, he says, "On the day and the hour, no man knows." So here's his question. There are many prophetic books and movies emerging claiming that Jesus' second coming will be in the early fall of 2030 or 2031, and subtracting Daniel's final week of seven years would put the start of the tribulation at 2023 fall or 2024. One of the key arguments is that the statement by Jesus, but of that day and hour knoweth man no, not the angels of heaven, but my Father only, was made in the present tense, and is misquoted frequently as... Um, as no man will know. The arguments also present that Daniel was instructed thus, but thou, O Daniel, shut up the words and seal the book even to the time of the end. Many shall run to and fro, and knowledge shall be increased. And he said, Go thy way, Daniel, for the words are closed up and sealed till the time of the end. Many shall be purified and made white and tried, but the wicked shall do wickedly, and none of the wicked shall understand, but the wise shall understand. I am getting the impression that although one may not be able to predict the exact day and hour, it is possible to get close within a year, and it certainly looks like many final prophecies are close to fulfillment or in the process what is one to believe about this? Yeah, gr- another great question. Uh, our listeners are, are very well educated, and they ask great, great questions. I think the key here, Neil, is to is is not so much the day or the hour, and I'll answer that question. But I think the key is the season. You know, Jesus said we wouldn't know the day or the hour, but he he we we are expected to know the season. He said, when you see these signs, know that he's near at the very door. And he actually rebuked, Greg, those of his generation, his day, for not seeing the signs the first time. Yes. He said, you can predict the weather, but you can't see the signs of the times. So what's wrong with you guys? He rebuked them. So what he's saying to us is, 
you need to be able to recognize, okay, all these things I said would be happening at the very end are happening, so look up and get ready. You should be watching for my return. Now, when you talked about the increase of knowledge, Daniel, and all that, could it be that maybe we're going to know, and they didn't know them, and we'll know now? I I don't believe so for a number of reasons, and I'll say this. The reason I believe that is when you read in context, Jesus is jumping forward prophetically to what it to what it's going to be like among believers because he's teaching believers and unbelievers what it's going to be like at the very end when he does show up in that surprise and he says watch therefore for you do not know so he's speaking about those in the last days in that context he's saying the people of the last days need to be watching as well as you you need to be watching but also it goes to those in the last days because this it's it's whoever's alive when this happens he says you better be watching because it's going to happen at a time you don't expect if there was more information revealed, then we would know. And so we could say, hey, I, it's, you know, here's whatever, whenever it's going to be, et cetera. So no, I don't, I don't think that's going to change. I think that we will not know regardless to the very end or the Lord wouldn't have told us to be watching. However, we do need to know the season. As I said, we are expected to know the season. And, uh, and so, so, you know, it's incumbent upon us to be watching and to be prepared for that. And again, the Lord expects us to be watching and be prepared for that. Um, so, uh, yeah, again, great question, but I think that it pretty much is going to be, I don't think that's going to change. I don't think we're going to know. Now, it is interesting because I want to address a couple of things that are out there. The Feast of Trumpets is the feast that represents the rapture of the church. And it is interesting in that it is the only feast of the seven, the seven feasts of Israel you'll find in Leviticus 23. We now know they are prophetic feasts. And how do we know that? Because we can go back and look now. All of them actually were fulfilled on the day they, they were, they actually fell. So we can say, okay, wait a minute. God's doing something here. The next one in line would be Feast of Trumpets. So the question is, well, why wouldn't God fulfill it on that day? Um, I'm not saying God won't. All I'm saying is I don't think he will because he said no one will know. And that would kind of defy his own words. So how he's going to work that and why this one feast is not going to fall on the very day like all the others, I don't know. Maybe I'm wrong and it does fall on it, but somehow we're still going to be tricked. Yeah. But also, it is the only feast that can't be nailed down to what day it actually is. As a matter of fact, in Jesus' day, the rabbis called it uh, the feast where no one knows the day or the hour. (laughs) And why did they say it? They literally used the words that Jesus used here. Why? Because it could be any one of two days. Here's what happens. You judged the new day. By the first three stars you could see. So the rabbis would go, okay, they're looking for the first three stars. As it got dark, okay, the day has officially begun. So that's how the rabbis marked the new day. Um, the way you marked the new month, which the Feast of Trumpets is the only feast that starts on the first of the month. And the way you marked the new month was by not just the three stars, but the crescent moon appearing. Right. So you had to have the crescent moon and three stars. So so you, you had to wait. If, if you had the three stars but no crescent moon, you know you didn't know. Or crescent moon, no three stars, you didn't know. So it would go over to the next day. So you didn't really know which. And even today, Greg, get this. Even today, the Jews celebrate the Feast of Trumpets two days. Two days. They celebrate. It's not a one-day feast. It's a two-day feast, although it's classified as a one-day feast. Right. But because they don't know the day or the hour. So the argument is, well, maybe it really could be one of those two days since we don't know the day or the hour. Let me say this. Technically, you're correct. Here's why I can't really go with that full throttle right now, because Greg could say it's going to be that day, and I could say it's going to be the next day, and one of us just defied the words of Jesus because we were right. So I don't think any man can defy the words of the Lord. So somehow, I don't think it's going to be on those days, Greg. I think it's going to be around that somehow, and I don't know how God's going to do it. Now, is it possible, because we know like when God talks about creation in the book of Genesis, and he's talking about a literal six days. Right. Okay. But then there's other places in scripture where when he's speaking prophetically, 
when it talks about, you know, a week and a week and, a, and half a week. Right. You know, and he's and he, but he's using time. Right. As, as speaking prophetically, not the literal time as we understand a day or a week and so on. So is it possible knowing that sometimes it's literal, sometimes it's prophetic, you've got to look at the context. Is it possible that the day that we're not looking at it as a prophetic day versus a, like a week is seven years? So could a day mean prophetically like a year? Yeah. So you, I mean, I don't know. I'm well, just throw, I'm just asking, right? Because people want to be so exacting. They're just they want to be the ones that defy the word of God without yeah. them even knowing that's what they're trying to do. Yeah, and nail the day of the rapture. Yeah, that's no, a great question, Greg. But I think we have to be very cautious that we stick with the literal. Okay, what the scripture says literally. I just didn't know in the context there if it well, if the inference could well, be let me, taken. Well, well, let me explain that. Okay. There could be a, there. There's the Bible talks about the day of the Lord, and that's a time period. Okay. So, so you have to determine by the context, is it a time period or an actual day? So and that's my point. All right. So, yes. And I knew that's where you were yeah. going. So there is a legitimacy to that. However, okay. let me get back to the thing about just so we make sure there's not confusion on our listeners like on the week or whatever, because that's still a literal seven years, because in that day, they spoke of a week, which is called a heptad. And they would speak of heptads. They say, I'll see you in heptad. We say, hey, man, I'll see you next decade. That's 10 years. So, but a heptad was called a week. So they literally called a week a heptad, but in the context, you know if they meant seven days or seven years. So a heptad is seven years. A week is seven days, etc. So whenever you see like a week in Scripture, it's, it's always literal. It's either a literal week or it's literally seven years. The context tells you. Right. Yeah, so I want to make sure that people don't think it's, it's not up to us to determine how long a week is or how long a day is. The Bible's very specific. We just have to determine based on the context. And a lot of what you said, the day... A when Jesus said, no man know will the day or the hour, it is he be, speaking literal or was he speaking I see, I see what you're getting prophecy at there. time or literal time? <laughs> yeah, but, but again, I, okay. again, I think staying literal to it is the key here. Okay. But again, I, I, uh, there, there is kind of a, that whole thing of the day of the Lord, et cetera, whatever. So I get your point there. But I think in this one, he's, he's literally saying, you know, look, I mean, here's the thing. All the other feasts have been fulfilled on their actual days. This is the feast where no one knows the day or the hour. So symbolically, that's huge. But somehow I still can't believe it's going to be on one of those two days because you could still nail it down to one of those two days and you'd be watching for it. Um, I may be wrong on that. Again, um, the fact that I don't think it'll probably be one of those two days, it probably will be because he said, you know, you'll come an hour you don't expect. However, if you're expecting it to be those two days, it probably won't be because he's coming an hour you don't expect. The bottom line is we don't know. We don't know. And he said we won't know. So let's just, but we better know the season. And I'm telling you guys, and he tis, says you will. tis yes. the season. Yes. All right. Wow. That was a lot of questions this week. Fantastic. Yes. All right. Let's go to Israel, and uh, we'll start off our articles this week on uh, episode 280 of Signs of the Times. This is from Israel 365 News. Netanyahu's claim that God has not always protected the Jews sets off a storm of criticism. Yeah. Really. No kidding. Oh, yeah. I mean, for sure. I'm sure that made them very angry yes. again, just because, you know, uh, let me just read some of it here. Notice what it says. Uh, uh, it says this. Uh, Israel Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu addressed his cabinet on Sunday concerning the secretary, rather security of Jews, making a religious pilgrimage to Ukraine for Rosh Hashanah, which, again, is the Feast of Trumpets. We just had that here last week. So um, that's perfect as far as the timing goes there. Um, he says, God has not always protected us. 
not on European soil and not on Ukrainian soil, Netanyahu said, adding that Israel has shelters for its civilians to protect them against missile attacks. There are no shelters and there's no protection in Ukraine. Reacting to Netanyahu's comments, the ultra-Orthodox Shahs, who again this would very, make very upset, said, God has always protected the people of Israel during all its exiles and persecutions. That is the reason the people of Israel are the only ones who have miraculously survived for thousands of years, while many other powerful people have disappeared. Of course, the condition for divine protection is faithfulness and keeping the Torah and commandments. So he actually answered this correctly, and that is, look, God has been faithful to protect them and to really preserve them would be the word here, not so much protecting as preserve as the one he's making or they, they wouldn't still be here. But he brings up a point. God's divine, God doesn't always, God allows bad things to happen to them when they disobey. What he's saying is if we're faithful, God protects us. If we're not faithful, God doesn't protect us, which is exactly the truth. And God lays that out in his word. He nailed it. But just because, you know, Netanyahu is saying is, is wrong and saying God doesn't protect. No, it's because they were disobedient. That God didn't protect. He's, you know, Netanyahu is misrepresenting God. And listen to what it says in Ezekiel, I'm sorry, Deuteronomy chapter 11, uh, verse 26 and 27. God says, Behold, I set before you today a blessing and a curse. The blessing, if you obey, that if you choose to obey, in other words, the commandments of the Lord your God I will, that I command you today, I'll bless you. And a curse, if you choose not to obey, we go back to making a choice. We talked about that earlier. God says, if you choose not to obey the commandments of the Lord your God, but turn aside the way which I command you to go after other gods which you've not known. In other words, I'll bless you if you choose to obey. I'll curse you if you choose not to obey. Netanyahu is recognizing the curses that have come upon Israel when they chose not to obey. And the rabbi is correcting him by saying, you know what? The reason God didn't protect us is because we chose not to obey. So Netanyahu, you've got it wrong. Look, I, I, I'm glad Netanyahu is their leader rather than some uh, real left-wing person or whatever. But the bottom line is, being an unbeliever, not knowing the Lord, not knowing the Scripture, he got it wrong. And even this rabbi who probably doesn't obviously know the Lord and probably doesn't believe in Jesus Christ, at least he knew the principles of Scripture good enough to say, wait a minute, God's always been faithful. The problem hadn't been with God's faithfulness. The problem has been with our unfaithfulness, and that's why bad things happen to us. So very interesting to see kind of the the, the infighting within the, the politics and religion of Israel. Yes. Well, as uh, he continues to uh, win friends and influence people, this from the Jerusalem Post says that Saudi Arabia has suspended talks on peace with Israel, uh, apparently because of... Netanyahu. Yeah, and let me just say that's already changed. It's a man. This oh, was September seventeenth. So, now they're back on and they're uh, talking back. and they say it looks really good and really close. But what again, is so popular? No, I left it in there because okay. I wanted people to see, and I'm going to read some of this. Yes. how quickly it changes, changes. I mean, as the Middle East turns. Is your is your soap <laughs> opera today? Uh, Riyadh withdrew the normalization talks due to Benjamin Netanyahu's extremist government. It says. Uh, according here to this report, you know, and again, so they're using it politically. According to the unconfirmed report, Riyadh issued a message to the U.S. explaining the extremist nature of Israel's right-wing government led Netanyahu, led by Netanyahu, was torpedoing any possibility of re, uh, of getting an agreement with us. Well, that changed within a few days. So it's just political. It's it's yada, yada, yada. Here's the bottom line. They are working toward an agreement. I think it's going to happen with all the railways that we're talking about coming through there, the commerce, the fact they want to trade, the fact that we're going to see that Saudi Arabia is going to be um, not participating in this attack against Israel when Ezekiel and 38, 39 take place. But so it does change quickly, but you can see how quickly it changes. It is back on and there is looking good for uh, Israel and Saudi Arabia. Hmm. Well, let's come back to America for some more lunacy, I suppose. This is from CBS News. The U.S. sets record for billion dollar weather 
disasters in 2023. They say weather and climate disasters, uh, but again, we know it's the weather. It's well, yeah, and, and I'll address that scripturally. Yeah. Let me read this. It says, with months to go before 2023 wraps up, the U.S. has set a new record for the number of weather disasters in a year that cost $1 billion or more. Uh, there have been 23 climate catastrophes and weather <laughs> events costing at least a billion as of the end of August, breaking the record of 22 set in 2020. The National Oceanic and Atmospheric Administration announced Monday. This year's disaster has, has gone uh, so far to cost more than $57.6 billion and kill 253 people. Now, again, remember, there's an agenda here to promote this climate change stuff, if you will, whatever, which is easy. It's very easy to refute if you do just some minimal homework of historically temperatures, the earth, etc. Um, and, and here's the thing you got to understand. It's being used, I believe, and this is why I, we did a conference this last week, a prophecy conference. And what I want our listeners out there to get a hold of, it's not about whether you win an argument about climate change or not. And I'll give a scripture in just a moment. But here's the deal. We have to have a larger view. This is where I always tell you, put on your spiritual glasses. There has to be a larger view. The issue is not climate change. The issue is, the Bible says in the last days, Satan will want to, and God will allow him, to deceive the entire world to come together as one in government, finances, even religion, after the rapture takes place and all this, so that he can control the entire world and make them worship him. He'll have the whole world under his control Eventually, by a mark on the forehead or the hand, we literally can control you by force, which is very different. We talked about God's love. You're not forced. You have a choice. Under Satan's rule, you're forced. You have no choice. So Satan's, a sign of Satan will be no choice. A sign of God is choice. So with that said, um, you're going to see this, this push toward climate things because it unites the world. I believe it's being used spiritually, demonically, to unite the world as one because we all have to come together to save the planet. So have a larger view. It's not about hurricanes, earthquakes, all these different things. It's about getting the world to go, oh, no, the earth's going to be destroyed. How do we all come together to save it? Well, we all need to work together to do away with whatever, and I'll do this, and I'll come become one, and whatever. Lay down our rights, whatever the case might be. And, and watch what Satan's reversing. God said, here's the earth to serve man. Have dominion over it. Satan says, oh, yeah, I'm going to reverse that, because he reverses everything God says. I want the earth to have dominion over man. Now you serve the earth. So everything God enacts, Satan reverses. That's how he works. When he said male and female, God says, oh yeah, no, it's, it's multiple genders. When, when he says multiply and fill the earth, oh yeah, no, we're overpopulated. Back off. You'll notice that everything God laid out that we're to do in Genesis, Satan is now reversing by the spirit of the age. Climate is nothing more than a reversal against God to try to reverse what God, God has given us everything richly to enjoy. Enjoy your steak, enjoy your car, enjoy your life, whatever. And Satan says, no. Jesus came to give life and life more abundantly. I've come to steal, kill, and destroy. I want to take it all away. So you have to understand what's happening from a spiritual perspective. But now let's get back to the issue of climate change. I want you guys to know, look, the Bible says the climate is going to radically change in the last days, the environment, if you will. But Romans 8.22 tells us what it is. It says that the earth is going to be groaning for the return of Christ. In other words, the earth is cursed. The earth is now groaning to be re-blessed and the curse to be taken away. So the earth is groaning, it says in Romans 8.22, for the Lord to return. And when the earth groans, what happens? Earthquakes, hurricanes, uh, environmental changes. You're going to see all those things. But it's not because of the car you drive. And it's not because of, of the, the food you eat or not because of anything that you do. It is simply the signs of the times 
the earth groaning for the Lord to return, and all these things happening at the same time. It's interesting, Greg. I was hearing again today they're trying to outlaw. I mean, you know, anybody that says anything against climate change, it could be illegal, and and they're trying and something to make it where you actually it's a criminal act or whatever, and they call you a climate denier. You know, I want to say this. I'm not saying the climate isn't even changing. It might be, but it's not for the reason you think. It's the judgment of God, and it's the earth groaning. And I would call myself not a climate denier. I would call myself a Bible believer. I am a Bible believer. And the Bible says on the last days, you're going to see the climate go crazy because the earth is going to be groaning. And then you're going to see God judging the earth in the great tribulation where the earth will be destroyed, but it won't be by a man. It'll be by God as he destroys the oceans, as he destroys the rivers, as he burns up all the green grass, as he does these destructive things in the judgment of the great tribulation at the very end. And then he comes back and restores it all to brand new. And it's going to be beautiful and restored. So the Lord will take care of it. But he promises everything will be in place and we're going to be fine until that happens when he does it. And then he's going to restore it. So everybody can relax, enjoy your vacation, enjoy your steak, stop freaking out and understand from a biblical perspective what's going on. Good There's my rant and rave. There you go. I did both rant you and did rave. Both. I did. Yes. I did. A little R and R. We all need a little R and R. Yes. A little rant and rave. <laughs> all right. Let's get into some growing anti-Semitism. Uh, another prophetic fulfillment on the scene. This is from JNS.org. As the adults teach the kids, anti-Semitism on campus yeah. is experienced by fifty percent of Jewish college students. Well, how often do we see these articles? Again, these yeah, pop up like every three every, weeks or yes. so. It's like a new, it says a new study also revealed that nearly a third of Jewish undergraduates witnessed bigotry on their campus. I would just say, welcome to the world you know, of spiritual battle. Again, remember, um, this. the Bible tells us again, a sign of the times in the last days, you're going to see increase um, racial tensions among everybody in general. It says ethnos will rise against ethnos. Matthew yeah. 24, it's called, you know, a nation against nation. It's really ethnos. So ethnic group against ethnic group. You're going to see racial tensions rising. Um, but in addition to that, you're going to see a hatred for the Jews. Jesus said in Matthew 24, he said, all nations will hate you. Um, he, he said, and those of you that follow us, that'll be hated for my namesake. And then as Zechariah, Zechariah says, man. there'll be a stumbling block to the entire world. So the fact is, that this is happening doesn't surprise me. But if you're wondering, why is it that Jews are always hated? Why is it that Jews always get picked on? Again, Put on your spiritual glasses. There's a much larger picture going on here. This is demonic. It is worldwide. It is Satan enacting his 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 uh, you know spirit against those that God has chosen, his chosen people. Just like in Genesis, everything that God wanted to bless with, Satan has reversed, trying to reverse every people that God blesses, be it Jew or Gentile. He tries to bless them. Satan tries to reverse it. Same thing here. No different. Okay. Let's go on to some pestilence, plagues, disasters, and heavy on the corruption. This is from Breitbart.com. Halloween decor featuring a beheaded Jesus angers neighbors. Yeah, no kidding. You know, I, I, I'll only read some of this and then I'll kind of, obviously we'll comment on this, but this is, it's rather shocking and rather horrifying. Um, it says a Louisiana man in Bucktown area of New Orleans is in hot water with his neighbors due to his extremely bloody Halloween decorations. The decorations appear to show a beheaded Jesus whose head is in the hands of Satan, but this is demonic, looming over the yard while nuns and priests stand nearby. One neighbor called it appalling. This guy summed it up. He said, in one word, he can sum it up. It's blasphemy. It really is. You know, look, I don't expect the world, and especially those that reject God, to love Jesus. I don't expect that. We expect them to not like him and, and even really expect some people to maybe hate him. The, the change I've seen, Greg, that's concerning and where we are as a nation is how open it is now. 
it used to be that people closetly hated the Lord. They wouldn't come out and say, I hate the Lord, I hate Jesus, or whatever, uh, much less put some display up in their front yard, unless it's like Anton LaVey of the Satanic Church. They wouldn't do that. But we've crossed a line now, and what happens is, the farther a people gets away from God, and the harder their hearts get, the more the demonic influence comes in. And now you're seeing not just a hidden, a hidden hatred for God and a hidden hatred for Jesus, you're seeing a very blatant and open hatred, and really a lack of fear of God. I mean, if you understand, if people really could grasp how powerful God is, how, how real his judgment will be one day for those who reject him, and the fact that we're all going to stand before him to face him in that judgment with no escape and an eternal judgment placed on us, even if you choose to reject Jesus, that used to put enough fear in the hearts of Americans where they would never, ever say anything derogatory about the Lord. There was, even for the unbeliever, kind of this hidden fear that, well, what if they are right? What if they are right? What if they are right? I dare not say anything. We've now crossed a new line, Greg, in this generation where it's like, I don't care, in his face, just whatever. I, I think, wow, that is a line that once you cross, how do you go back from that? Now, would the Lord forgive this man? Of course he would. The Lord would forgive him like that if he repented. And it's not so much even the judgment that looms for him, which indeed it does. It's a society that somebody could feel like that's okay. You know, it started in the sitcoms where people started mocking Christians because that was an easy target. I'm not really attacking Jesus. I'm attacking Christians. But what did Jesus say to Paul when he knocked him off his horse at Damascus? He said, you're not just attacking Christians. He said, you're attacking me. Why? Because they're one with me. So if you attack Jesus, you are attacking Christians. In other words, it would be like all the Christians' heads were also cut off in that, front, in that man's front yard with Satan holding him. He doesn't probably understand that, but that's what Jesus said it is. So, um, you know, you could secretly attack Christians, I mean, secretly attack Jesus by attacking Christians, and but now it's gone from that to openly attacking Jesus. And the Bible says in Revelation, it will go to the next level. They'll be shaking their fist at God, saying, we hate you, we want nothing to do with you. It says again in, in Revelation sixteen eleven that they're going to be cursing heaven and cursing God uh, because of the judgments, Greg. And so it's going to be, get uglier and uglier. And just when I watch this taking place, it's shocking to see it happen. But again, it shows how far our culture that used to be, even the unbeliever feared enough they wouldn't do this. Now they not only don't fear it, they're open about it in their front yards. Yeah, wow. All right, let's head to the church. This is from ChristianPost.com. Uncommitted Christians, a threat to biblical worldview. This according to Barner Research. Yeah. You know, I would expand on this and say, yes, uncommitted. Maybe some of them don't really even know the Lord. But yeah, you're right. You have the Corinthian Christians out there, again, that live in the book of Corinth. They were dealing with fleshly Christians, if you will. And they do great damage. The article says millions of uncommitted Christians are causing a catastrophic decline in biblical worldview in America because they have been poorly discipled in their faith. And of them don't know how to pass on biblical pass on biblical values to their children. Jose, research, four, six. Yeah, research in a new book from veteran Christian researcher George Barna shows. Now, here's the thing. Here's the bottom line. I'm going to say this as a pastor and talk about the responsibility we have as pastors and Christian leaders. Why is there not a biblical worldview? Because much of the church doesn't really know their Bible. And that, yes, it does fall on the individual Christian. We are required and expected to know our Bible. But it also falls on the pastors. We need to be teaching the Word of God to our people. And I know every pastor out there is going to say, I am. 
But I want to go farther than that. I want to encourage you, pastors. I know you are. I know you are. I know the pastors here are teaching your flocks, and, and, and you're doing that. I know you're studying, you're preparing, you're teaching them. But I want to challenge you to go even beyond that. I think we're beyond just topicals because of the day and age we live in. Because with topical teachings, you get real good on certain topics. But I really believe we as pastors need to be challenged to say, I'm going to teach the entire Bible, Genesis to Revelation, line by line, verse by verse, because that way you teach the entire Word of God, you get the entire biblical view, which is going to give our people the entire biblical world view. So while I think pastors are out there doing a wonderful job teaching uh, different sections of the Bible, I would put up from pastor to pastor, um, a parson to parson, if I can get you know personal, I would I would send that out there and say, you know what, teach all the Bible line by line, verse by verse. So that the body of Christ will know the entire Bible, gain a biblical worldview, and they will be able to share that with people around them and stand on it. And I think that's where we've got to get back to. The Word of God needs to be taught in its fullness, even as what, it, what you know, Paul said, I have not shunned to declare to you the entire counsel of God's Word. And I think if we're not giving the people the entire counsel, uh, we can't make that claim, number one. But secondly, we're going to have a church that doesn't have a biblical worldview. So, pastors, let's get going. I want to encourage you to keep up the good work, but challenge you to maybe, even if you're not doing that, to add to it. Okay. All right, Pastor Mark, let's end with some good news. This is from Christian Headlines. NFL star testifies of God's healing power on his four-year-old daughter, says, I was blown away. Yeah, the leading tackler on a defense that led New Orleans to an opening week victory used his post-game news conference Sunday to read scripture and testify of God's healing power during a medical scare with his four-year-old daughter. And I quote, we play this game on Sundays and it's really the Lord's day. On a day we should be worshiping the Lord, a lot of times players are getting worshiped. Wow, ouch on that Mm. one. Since so many of us didn't get to go to church today, I have a word that I want to share. Um, this is uh, uh, Davis, a 2023 Pro Bowl selection, read a verse, Revelation 23. See, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and dine with him and eat with him and he with me. Uh, and he goes on to talk about his daughter. She had an epileptic uh, seizure and they prayed. They sought the Lord. And he said that she was supposed to have a slow recovery. They didn't even know if there'd be any brain damage because it was so serious. And all of a sudden, he said he read that verse about knock on the door. He said, I heard a knocking on the door, and it was my daughter, and she was talking. And she was the doctors were shocked at how quickly she was healed. And he goes on to say, if you've got stuff going on in your life, lay it before the Lord. Lay it before the Lord and trust him uh, and expect a knock. Because the word says that when you do this, he will open the door. He's not going to open the, or you can open the door. If, if, if he knocks, you can open. He's not going to open the door for you. He's going to knock, but you've got to be listening and waiting for the knock. And when you see it, you have to get up and open the door and you're ble- You're going to be blessed. What a great, again, story here. But the point he's saying is, look, Jesus is there to help. He's knocking at the door of all of our hearts, but we have to respond. And what a great way to end the show today, because right now, for some of you listening who don't know the Lord, Jesus is knocking on the heart of your door, the door of your heart, rather, and you've been hearing him knock, but you've been avoiding it. And today, the Holy Spirit is opening your eyes and drawing you to him and saying, listen, you hear that knocking? That's me. If you will simply open, he says, I will dine with you and you will dine with me. It's a picture in the Jewish culture of becoming one. What the Lord is saying is this. Look, I died for you on the cross 2,000 years ago. I spilled my blood to pay for your sins, and it's the only way your sins can be paid for. Nothing else will do it. You can't be good enough. It's got to be my blood. You've got to confess your sin, repent of your sin, believe I died for you on the cross, and if you will do that, I'm knocking right now saying, if you will do that, I will come in and live with you, I will save you, I will forgive you of your sins, and you will have your place in heaven to die with me forever. I encourage you, if God is knocking on your heart right now and you hear the voice of the Lord, respond, humble yourself, 
ask his forgiveness, turn to the Lord, repent of your sin, receive him as Lord and Savior. And here's the good news. Not only are you forgiven of your sin, but you now have eternity in heaven with Jesus Christ and all the saints and the glory of God forever and ever and ever. He is waiting on you to open the door, respond to that knock on your heart right now, and receive the Lord. That would be the greatest thing that we could share from the entire show today. And I would also add to Pastor Mark is that uh, uh, continue to find yourself a Bible-believing church. Yes. And start learning about the Lord who sacrificed himself for you to pay for uh, your sins and to get to know him because Amen. he wants you to be more like him. Amen. And that's where discipleship comes in. That's where we spend time in his word. And that includes outside of the time of church. Yes, and, every day. And if you gave yeah. your life to the Lord today, give us a call at Calvary Chapel, you know, uh, 865-609-1385. We'd love to help you get started in your walk with the Lord. So, uh, again, I didn't mean to cut you off, Greg. No, you're you, fine. You, you take us out, no. man. But there there was, I wanted to make sure that was thrown in. You probably would have done it anyway. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Pastor Mark. Folks, thank you for listening. Don't forget our website, thewaymedia.net. You can only get our Signs of the Times information, our podcast episodes, ask your questions there. You can listen to Pastor Mark's daily radio program, Come to the Table, uh, our 24-hour radio station, WIAM, as well as the ever-growing teaching library from the pulpit of Calvary Knoxville, including conferences and things like that, all to encourage you and help you grow in your faith. And we'll see you next Friday.